0: All right, let us go to Matthew chapter two, verses one to 12, a simple passage. We know the passage, there's nothing earth's chattering seemingly about it, but I want to jump into this discussion of this being a precious moment where God reveals that he accepts anyone who worships him, not just Jewish people. This is a gospel written by Matthew to Jewish people, so it's appropriate that he emphasizes this aspect of Jesus's birth after Jesus's birth to us. But let me bring you, uh, let me jump in with three scenes. They all have something in common, and you have to think about what they are. Scene number one is in Jerusalem in AD 57 or so, when Paul goes to Jerusalem for the very last time, and he's arrested in the temple. It's almost a mob, like seizes him and wants to grab him and arrest him. What is the charge in Acts chapter 21? What is the charge that they throw out there to justify um, arresting Paul? Do you know what it is? They said, he brought a Gentile into the inner courtyard. That was the the problem. That was the excuse they used to seize seize him. He brought a Gentile believer into the inner courtyard because there was a partition between the outer courtyard and the temple courtyard itself. Gentiles couldn't go into the inner courtyard. There's nothing in the scripture about that at all. It's a fake rule. Why? They didn't like Gentiles. That's scene number one. Scene number two, I'm gonna read you a resolution from the Clarendon Baptist Church in Alcolu, South Carolina in October, 1957, in the wake of a huge Southern cultural backlash against the Brown versus Board of Education decision, which segregated public schools in the United States. Many churches in the South did not like that. And this is the resolution that the Clarendon Baptist Church published and sent to the Southern Baptist Convention. Quote, we believe that integration is contrary to God's purposes for the races because, number one, God made men different races and ordained the basic differences between races. Number two, race has a purpose in the divine plan, each race having a unique purpose and distinctive mission in God's plan. And presumably that plan doesn't include black and white children learning together. Number three, God meant for people of different races to maintain their race purity and racial Identity spelled wrong in the original, and seek the highest development of their racial group, which is ironic since they spelled the word identity wrong. God has determined the bounds of their habitation, and that is the end of the resolution. Scene number two. It's a Baptist church in South Carolina, 1957. Scene number three is in post-911 America, when conservative Christians began to, especially some conservative Christian leaders began to ramp up anti-Muslim rhetoric. There's always talk about evangelizing Muslims after 9/11, but there became this there came this increased focus on how bloodthirsty and violent and evil and satanic the Muslim faith uh, was. That that rhetoric it became became very common and very popular. A former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Jerry Vines said that muhammad was quote a demon possessed pedophile and then there would be rhetoric like that and then they would go on and say so we need to show love and evangelize them it's like it's kind of a disconnect between you you seem to hate so much but then you want to evangelize i was given personally given a book by a church member and the book was like this long self-published book 800 million pages and it was about how the antichrist was probably a muslim and there became this whole cottage industry of fake charlatans who claimed they used to be jihadi terrorists but have now come to jesus and they begin to make this industry out of going in and basically describing how evil muslims were to conservative churches who would stare wide-eyed and just 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 absorb it like sponges and they would just go around and make money by telling people i used to be a terrorist but now i love jesus and you need to be afraid of muslims because they'll want to kill you and i actually had a missionary's wife tell me that muslim people were nothing but bastards of abraham quote and i'm like well it sounds like you really want to reach these people don't you this what do all these three scenes have in common because none of them are right right they're all crazy twisted bad what do all three of these scenes have in common the urge to exclude people not like us whatever the us happens to be doesn't matter what it is but people not like us exclude them from god's kingdom implicitly or explicitly. None of those people ever said Muslim people couldn't join the church, but the tenor was, we really don't want Muslim people to come here, right? Scene number one, there's no warrant for, this separate, for Gentiles not being able to worship God. I guess Ruth is out. Uh, scene number two, there's no biblical warrant for segregating God's people in his family according to race. What about the barrier between Jew and Gentiles being knocked down in Ephesians chapter two? Scene number three, The whole impetus was Muslims are dangerous, Muslims will kill you, and President Obama is probably a Muslim who will impose Sharia law. All of these scenes all have the exact same thing in common. Other people, whoever that might be, other people should be excluded or pushed as far away from the center of God's kingdom as possible. What does God say about this urge, this tendency of ours that's common to every culture? Who can join God's kingdom? And our passage today, titled A Kingdom Without Borders, Matthew two, one to twelve, helps us answer that question. Matthew two, one to twelve. We're going to get through this in the next eighty-five minutes in two movements. Movement one, the foreigners arriving in Bethlehem and Jerusalem, and number scene number two, them arriving at the house where the Christ child is in Bethlehem. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, you are the God of light and life. We ask you open our eyes, our eyes and our ears so that we not only hear your word preached, but see it lived in, out in our lives and in our world. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, your only Son, our Lord and King, the light of the world. Amen. Verses 1 and 2 and 9 through 11 are my translation, the rest are not so if they sound a little too colloquial that's why so let's let's begin here now after Jesus was born after this Jesus was born in the Judean Bethlehem in the days of Herod the king listen to this now astrological scholars from the east arrived in Jerusalem this is a picture of where Jesus was born versus where Jerusalem is five six miles It didn't look quite like this back then but you get the idea people arrive from the east who are these people your translation probably says magi or maybe wise men which actually says nothing what is a magi these are these are scholars way from the east who interpret dreams interpret visions follow the stars um uh, in daniel's day they, they were like court officials who helped interpret dreams Um, The same words used to refer to Simon the magician or Elimus in Acts chapter 13, the guy on Cyprus. These guys aren't official court magicians or anything. They're just scholars from scholars from the east. Okay, and they have come to Jerusalem. They were asking everybody, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star from the east and we have come to worship him. So they got to Jerusalem. What are they doing? They're asking everyone where they can find this child.
1: They're asking everyone
0: where they can find the child. Why do you think they have to ask? The sh- if you remember Luke chapter two, the shepherds, the shepherds went and told everyone what happened. Right. But then the, these, these astrologers from the east, they get to Jerusalem and they're asking everyone, but they can't find out, they can't find out news about this, this child who's, who's been born, right? How come no one else knows about it? So you, you can talk, we can break the fourth wall and you can tell me, why does no one know? Why is, why, are there not, why is there not bunting everywhere? Why have there not been parades scheduled? Why is not everyone in Jerusalem excited that the Christ child has been born? The shepherds told everyone they saw, but no one seems to know about it. They're asking everyone. They're going around asking. Herod, they don't tell Herod. Herod hears about it. How did he hear about it? He heard about it because they're asking everyone and people are talking about it because they arrive and they're asking, why does no one know? What do you guys think? You have any ideas? Why does no one know
1: about it? Any thoughts? Deep. Anyone have any thoughts? I know we're not used to talking now, but we can
0: talk. Okay, he wasn't born in Jerusalem, so, but these guys were only a few miles away. And the shepherds told everyone that the, the angels had told them that Christ the king was born. And they went and told everyone. It says everyone was amazed. They're th- thinking about this. But no one knows anything. No one seems to care. They're asking. No one can tell them why. My guess is that they viewed miracles the same way a lot of us do if you if I ask any of you are miracles possible today can God still do a miracle today you'd probably say yes but then if I say a miracles occur all the time and there's records of it you might be like yeah okay where's the YouTube video there's no video yeah whatever and you'll just sort of be maybe skeptical or not wanting to believe or not caring you're like I don't want to hear any weird stories from some kooky shepherd weirdos I got stuff to do I have a business to run I have a family to raise. I have kids to take care of. This weird kooky shepherd tells me he saw a vision from it. Okay, whatever, anyway, moving on. I have better things to do with my time. The same sort of thing probably is why no one seems to care when they get to town. That's my best guess. These are not the shepherds they are not high class people. They're not dependable people. They're not elite people from society. They're not, they don't have a following on social media. They can't tell anyone. They can tell anyone they want. They're not going to be able to tell many people because no one cares. And it just sort of gets lost in the shuffle of everyday life. But they're there. These men from the east arrive. Pagans from the east, from way to the east, Babylon, Persia, around that area, Iraq. The Iraqis arrive. The Persians arrive. And asking everyone, they can't get an answer. Where is the newborn king of the jews we saw his star from the east and we've come to worship him how do they know how do they know to come to worship him god told them there was a re- god told them in some way that the king of the jews was born there so they came how do they know where to go the star They followed the star. The star, there was their GPS. Okay, the star was the GPS. God has led them to come and worship the king. What does it mean that he's led these guys? Why these guys? They're pagan scholars from nowhere. A lot of people think, well, they must have been waiting for the Messiah because Daniel and his, his, his cadre of Jewish believers must have passed down stuff. Yeah, that's possible, but it's just not there. That's like trying to color in the white spaces between the words. Somehow they were told specifically a king of the Jewish people has been born way to the west in Bethlehem and you need to go worship him. We've come to worship him. This is explicit. They're there for a reason. God told them, revealed it to them in some way. And so they came and so they followed the star. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. Why? Why do you guys think? Why is he troubled? Why is he troubled? He might have heard rumors from the the shepherds that were spreading around, but he obviously didn't care. But when these guys arrive, with this explicit message that seems to be the same message the angels told the shepherd... You know what the angels told the shepherd? Unto you this day in the city of David is born a savior, Christ the Lord. He's going to be king. And the, these guys from the east, from nowhere, from Persia, these Iraqis arrive, and they, have, they almost use the same words. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? So now, even if Herod did hear rumblings from the shepherd, now he's very upset. He's very troubled. He's very alarmed. Why? Why do you guys think he's so upset? Why is
1: he so worried?
0: He does not want to share power. Herod is a very impressive guy, but now he's old, he's going decrepit and he's has he's terrible medical conditions and he's going insane. He's become pathetic in his old age. He's an extremely powerful guy, very impressive guy, but now he's old and he's lost it. Okay? He's gone mad. He's spreading legends about how he's actually descended from David, which is not true. It's a lie. He sees himself. He wants people to see him almost as the messianic king, who's supposed to be coming. And now these guys arrive saying they've followed some revelation they received, and he doesn't like that. He has even executed people who've claimed who who, who are too vocal about how the Messiah is going to come because he sees himself as the messiah who's coming none of this is from scripture this is historical background stuff that's known he even had coins minted of himself with a star above his head from the prophecy from numbers 24 17 where a star will arise and a scepter will come from judah he has coins minted with a star above his face trying to in his old sort of senile and health plagued insanity he's trying to push It's like he sees the end coming so he's trying to establish his legacy he's trying to push this idea among the people that he is the one who was prophesied to come but now these guys are here and this is not this is not happy times for him he gathered all the chief priests and legal experts and asked them where the christ was to be born herod is not strictly speaking jewish but he married into a jewish family He has been raised in this atmosphere his whole life he knows the scriptures he knows about the Christ you see what he asks where the Messiah where the Christ was to be born he knows like in his head not in his heart but he knows so he hears these guys come and they say hey we have come to find this King he's he's already here he's been born this newborn King and Herod's like let's look at some scriptures here you got to look at the scriptures right let's look at the scriptures He calls his advisors, and he said, where is this when the Christ is born? Where is he going to be born? They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. And here it is. This is quoting from Micah chapter 5. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people, Israel. So what, what do we know about the What do we know about the Messiah who's going to come for his people? What do we know? What does this passage say about it? What's it say about him? From Bethlehem,
1: and what is he going to do? He's going
0: to govern and he'll shepherd Israel, but he's going to be born where? bethlehem it's going to be born in bethlehem there's a bunch of beth there's more than one bethlehem the bethlehem in in judah all right is herod happy to hear this news because herod is not from bethlehem is herod happy to hear this news no very upset very angry this cannot stand something obviously must be done Then Herod secretly called for the magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. Why? Why does he want to know when the star, the boy's already born. Why does he want to know when the star first appeared when they started following it? That is correct. He wants to know when the star appeared so he knows the age limit to put on all the children he plans to kill. He's like, I don't know who this kid is but I'm going to make sure that I get him in this dragnet that I'm about to unleash. So whenever the star appeared, I'll just use that as my start date and all the kids born from this date back, all this date since, well then, they're the ones. Read Matthew chapter two, verse 16, which I will not read, but that's why he asked them for the date. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, the, the, the astrologers, the scholars, go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me so that I too may go and honor him. Why didn't he send people to go with him? I don't know. He probably thought he was being very clever. Well, it is pretty clever, actually, because the the scholars don't know this guy. They know he's the civil official, so they trust him and they believe him. And he thinks he'll just let them lead him to the kid rather than following along. Maybe he thought that people wouldn't trust him if he sent soldiers along with them. So being very clever, maybe too clever by half, he tells them, you go and find him. And when you find him, tell me, because I'd like to worship him too. Politicians are always tempted to use religion for their own twisted purposes. Whenever you see a politician cozy up to a religious leader, whether the religious leader is liberal or conservative, it's theoretically possible that there's a genuine conviction there. It's also theoretically possible the Mariners will win the World Series this, uh, this, this, this fall. It's more likely that they're being used for other purposes, to get votes, to get support, and that there really is no care or concern about the religious conviction that makes the partnership happen. Herod does not care. He just wants to eliminate a threat. So now we have them going to Bethlehem. Now after they heard from the king, they went out and look, your translation might say behold, but he's really saying, it's like Matthew's interjecting. They went out and he says, okay, listen to this, guys, listen to this. The star they'd seen in the east led them onward until it came to rest over the place where the child was. This is an actual photograph from the event. That's a joke, there's no, this is a reenactment in uh, the early 20s. Um, and it probably looks something like that um, in the stable, the lower floor of the house where the animals were kept. Might not have looked exactly like that, but it's probably as close as we're going to get to a photograph. This is in the 1920s before Bethlehem became a more modern small city. There's no skyscrapers, there's no buildings, there's no paved roads. It's about as close as you're going to get to what it used to be. The star they'd seen in the east led them onward. They, they left Jerusalem at night to go on to Bethlehem. It's only a few miles away. And the star that had led them there had stopped at some point when they neared Jerusalem. That's why they were going around asking for where he was. It Probably the star must have winked out at some distance from the city so they could see where they're supposed to go, but they don't know exactly where they're supposed to go. And they'd been looking and asking, and they'd had their audience with Herod. And now as they leave to go to Bethlehem, the GPS turns back on again, continue en route, and there it is. They, it leads them on. They're literally following the star the last few miles to the site until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with an unspeakable joy. They went into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell on their knees and worshipped the boy. Then they opened up their strong boxes and presented the child with gifts, gold, worship incense, and fragrant ointment. A lot of people try and make a lot of the three gifts. Some people say the gold represents the, gold represents the fact um, that, that, he's, that he's worth everything. The frankincense, which is just an incense, a resinous incense, uh, incense um, that's used in in worship uh, meant that he's they worship him as king and the myrrh is sometimes used in uh, among the one of its many uses is for embalming at burial so they try and they try and say gold because he's worth everything frankincense because he's king he's god and myrrh because he's going to be buried none of that's true that's just sort that's well-meaning attempt to make them more than it is these are just expensive gifts of sacrifice, expensive gifts to give to this boy who they worship as king, and perhaps a little more than king because they're falling on their knees and worshiping him. Your translation might say they bowed down to him. The context has to tell you whether it's worship is God or just you're my king, I bow to you. It's certainly you're my king, I bow to you, but there's, there's certainly a little bit more there in light of who Matthew tells us Jesus is. They offer up these gifts to the boy. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. Why did God bring, why did God bring, why did God bring these Eastern scholars to Bethlehem that night? This is what I think happened. I think the angels made the same announcement to these scholars in Persia that they made to the shepherds in the field. They made the announcement to the shepherds in the field sometime up to two years before. The shepherds just happened to be in Bethlehem out in the fields and could go find the child immediately in the stable. The angels made the announcement to the guys in Persia at the same time as just taking them this long to get here because they say the same thing. The child was born, he's the king of the Jews. I think they received the same message from the angels. The, angels the angel who said, this is a message of good tidings, that will be for all people. And so these people, we don't know how many there are. There are three gifts, we don't know how many, how many magi there were. But they heard that. I believe they heard the same revelation, or else why are they there? I think they heard the same revelation from the same angel at the same time. One was made to Jewish shepherds in the field at night right outside the city. The other was made to pagan scholars way to the east in Persia. The shepherds responded with joy to come and worship the child. These scholars responded with joy and journeyed sometime up to two years following this divine GPS that is this star to come and to worship the Christ child too. It just took them two years to get there. And what is God showing us here? God is showing us that when the, child, when the Christ child was born, he revealed this by divine revelation to Jewish people, but also to the epitome of outsiders, Gentiles, from where? From the land where the Israelites had been held prisoner for generations. God's message, God's gospel is for All people, no matter who they are, where they're from, what they've done. Anyone who bows the knee to Christ and comes to worship him as king is accepted in his family, whether they're shepherds in their field at night outside Bethlehem or pagan, formerly pagan scholars who, when hearing this revelation, want to come to worship Christ as their king too. Because Christ isn't just king of the Jews. His kingdom is also a kingdom that doesn't have borders. It's open to anyone who wants to be part of it. Now contrast that with what passed for the Jewish nation at that interview in Herod's court in the beginning of chapter two. A dying homicidal king with delusions of grandeur who thinks he's the Messiah, who hatches a plan to kill the Messiah because he doesn't want to have to give up his pathetic power. That's the Jewish representative of the, of, of the Israelite nation. That's how bad things were. The scribes are just the worst example of government bureaucrats. They can tell, the, they can tell the, 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 the magi where to find the Christ, but they don't bother to go themselves. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, they literally told him where to find him. They said, we've been told that the king has been born. Where can I find him? They're like, well, they're, well let, me, let me see here. Um, yes yes it is in uh it's in bethlehem Yep. have a good trip yep bye why don't they want to go i mean they're jewish right they don't care this is what jesus has come to work with here that's what he's come to work with they can tell the scholars how to find the messiah but they can't be bothered to worship him themselves why did nobody else follow that star that dark night outside Jerusalem to see what it meant. Why did no one else follow it? It's possible, Jesus said that the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment against his generation, the Jewish people who had so much more light and they didn't care, but the men of Nineveh had so little, but they repented and believed. He said the queen of Sheba, the queen from the south in 1 Kings 10 who came to worship God when Solomon was king to hear about this God from Solomon, she's gonna rise up in judgment too she had so little revelation and she believed she trusted but the people that jesus speak who's he's speaking to who have so much light they don't care i think that these scholars from the east are going to rise up in judgment right alongside the queen from the south and the men from nineveh and look at everyone else even people in america who have so much revelation about jesus about Jesus' as king about the gospel and they don't care but these guys who know nothing They just, I believe, receive a revelation from the angel, just like the shepherds did, and they believed, and they went. The folks who ought to have known best didn't believe a word of it or were too preoccupied with their own lives to care. What is God teaching us? What is God teaching us? I believe God is teaching us in this passage, as we think about epiphany, what what it means, why we celebrate it, God's kingdom has never had nationalist borders. It's always been open to anyone who wants to worship and obey Christ. Sometimes the people who know God don't really know him at all. What does God want us to do with what he's saying? I think what we need to do with what he's saying is that the church must be willing to accept anyone who comes to worship and obey Christ, which is an important caveat. If you want to worship Christ, if you're willing to obey Christ as your king, conform your life to his and not the other way around. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, you need to be welcomed into the family and not pushed off to the margins. In Jesus's day, in Paul's day, it meant actually believing that non-Jewish people could be part of the family in 2022 america it means it could mean a bunch of things but in your life it could mean thinking of a type of person whoever whoever it happens to be a type of person who you'd be uncomfortable worshiping god with on a sunday morning who really does love god and really wants to conform his or her life to god and not the other way around a person who is, commits to Christ, loves Christ, and wants Christ to change her to look like him. A person who you nonetheless would be uncomfortable worshiping with, for whatever reason. It doesn't matter what the reason is. What God would want us to do is for you to think about that person or that group of people and say, if they bow the knee to Christ like me, then none of that stuff matters because that's my culture talking. The only borders, which are on the screen here, the only borders around God's kingdom should be this. Number one, do I believe Christ is Lord and King? And number two, have I bowed before him in worship, in submission? Those things have happened. Then it doesn't matter what color the person is. It doesn't matter what religion the person used to be. It doesn't matter what group the person used to be a part of. If they've left that group and joined themselves to Christ, and we have no right to put borders up to marginalize or exclude them. Gentiles in Israel, black Christians in white churches, Muslims in American churches. The song remains the same, a tendency to exclude, to push, to maybe not explicitly, but implicitly draw a dotted line and say, it's not good, it's not good that you come through here. It's not good that you come inside this circle. It's better that you stay outside the circle in Christian love. Who's going to be what group is going to be next? If the person believes Christ is Lord and King, if the person has bowed before him in worship and allegiance, then there we have no right to put up borders to stop the person from being a part of God's community. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in your son's name. Lord, you're almighty, you're merciful, We ask you to convict us of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, like your word says, as we consider your passage, this passage this afternoon. We know that in Jesus Christ, your light has come into this world. But as we think about our lives in the past, perhaps in the present, we know that we often choose to walk in the shadows and skirt around the light in certain areas ready sometimes even to give directions to lost travelers, but sometimes unwilling to follow that advice, those directions in our own lives. Please forgive us for any blindness that we might have and remove the veil of darkness from our consciousness, from our minds, from our lives. You know if it's there, you know how it's put, and we trust your Holy Spirit to convict us and and to remove it away so that enlightened by your word and spirit, we would live lives pleasing to you